Hello, and welcome to uh, Schumann's Rummerkit, a podcast that is normally done in Danish, as you might hear, but I guess can be translated to uh, Schumann's Space Report. My name is Thomas Schumann, and the reason I'm doing this episode in English is that uh, I recently had the opportunity to interview the scientists who have made the recent discovery of active volcanoes on Venus. And I find this really intriguing because I've always had this view of Venus as being like the closest place to a real life hill. And so to think that there are also active volcanoes there only underscores how much of a hill world Venus really is. So I thought that uh, I would make this uh, interview that I did with uh, Robert Herrick uh, available for all people out there who um, are English uh, speakers and understand English. So without further ado, here is my conversation with Robert Herrick. Robert Herrick, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you for having me. You are a research professor at the Geophysical Institute at the University of Alaska Fairbanks. And as far as I could read, most of your work is understanding Venus, both its surface and what lies beneath And uh, I've also read that you are on the science team on both uh, the European Space Agency's uh, Invision mission that is going to Venus and also uh, NASA's uh, Veritas uh, mission, another mission that will also go to Venus. Is there anything else I should mention here at the beginning? Uh, no, that that is an accurate summation. Um, so maybe I should mention that I am on the, uh, in particular, on the Envision mission. NASA is contributing the radar for that mission. And so that's why there are U.S. participants on the mission. And I am on the science team for for just the radar as it, as it stands. So that's, that's why uh, a guy from Alaska is on a European <laughs> Space Agency mission. There's always a lot of uh, international collaboration. I also know that from talking with Danish scientists who have uh, instruments on on NASA missions, uh, for instance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yep. And then, of course, I'm talking to you today uh, because you, along with uh, Scott Hensley from uh, NASA's Jet Propulsion Laboratory, have made this recent discovery of uh, active volcanism on uh, Venus. First of all, uh, congratulations. And uh, how does it feel to have made that discovery? Uh, you know, it's uh, it's been pretty exciting. I've got my uh, full... 15 minutes of fame over the last week to, no I, it was um yeah it was it was quite a quite a thrill that was sort of uh we we all knew uh I, everybody knew that venus was volcanically active but in in the way planetary scientists think uh that could have meant that it would uh, erupt again in the next few months or you know eruptions could every come every few years or they could come every 10,000 years and you'd still call the the planet volcanically active so it, it was a pretty big deal that we found this we for both the veritas and envision missions we had we had ridden in looking for changes over time on the planet but we we weren't a hundred percent sure that we were actually going to see anything when we did that. So uh, we have a lot of, a lot of confidence that that part of the mission plan is actually going to show something. 
of course, you know, data set of one, always a problem, right? We, there's a slim chance we saw the only thing that happened on Venus in the last million years and just happened to catch it. But uh, I think, I think realistically, uh, you know, we're really happy, particularly for, um, I don't know, it's just, it, to me, the exciting part is that these future missions are going to have the sort of um, resolution and they are designed to take, to look for changes over time. And so now, you know, we're going to be able to see, I think we'll be able, we'll, we'll catch some volcanoes on Venus that are erupting and we'll go back every few months and we'll see how the volcano, some of these volcanoes have changed and we'll be able to see new lava flows and um, get a good look at them a lot better than the, than, you know, what we discovered with Magellan data. So yeah, it's just going to be, I I think it's just going to be so cool to see a terrestrial planet that's, changing with new volcanism i mean we have on mars we've been able to see sort of dust devils and and new impact craters form and and that's pretty cool as well but to see new volcanoes on an earth-sized planet that's not earth is i think going to be really exciting and to the point you were talking about um what you mean by active volcanism on a planet uh, like Venus. So we have a planet like Earth where we could say there's active volcanism here, but when scientists talk about active volcanism on other planets, I think what you were saying here is it can mean that maybe a volcano will go off within 10,000 years and it will still the planet will still be considered uh, actively uh, volcanic. Is that is that correctly understood? Yeah, and so well, okay. So I, that's why I sort of said the way planetary scientists think is on on Earth, I believe, and I, I am not a terrestrial volcanologist, but I think on Earth they actually have some some time frame that is an official, you know, time since the last eruption that they consider uh, to be the boundary between whether a volcano is considered active or dormant or uh, or you know completely inactive right there's so I think terrestrial volcanologists have some in part because with volcanoes on earth there's this element of hazard assessment so that they they really make an effort to try and uh, categorize, pretty specifically the time frames and and so the, and and they have of course much better information to figure out when the last eruption was of a terrestrial volcano so so for planetary people it's uh because a lot of the you know a lot of the bodies nothing's happened for you know over a billion years and our ability to date surfaces on other planets is much looser the 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 way people talk about planetary volcanism and active is different than the way terrestrial volcanologists speak so just just for a kind of a counter example you know mars 
has some volcanic, some geologically young lava flows, but nothing has happened. You know, there's been no hint of rumbling of any of the volcanoes on Mars for the 50 years we've been looking at it. And I suspect if you sort of pulled planetary scientists, the guess would be that it will be you know, a few hundred thousand years before the next eruption occurs on Mars. So, but compared to the moon, Mars is really quite volcanically active. So, you know, it's all a matter of perspective. I guess before we, we dive into the uh, discovery, uh, maybe let's talk a bit about uh, Venus uh, as a planet, because I think many people have this view of Venus as a bit of a hellhole, a place where humans could not really go to the surface ever because of the high temperature because of the high pressures and there's a i guess a lot more people or it feels at least like there's a lot more people who are more interested in mars for for the exact reasons that people could go there uh, there is the prospect of finding uh, signs of previous or perhaps even present life on mars but i would like to i, I know that you have studied uh, venus uh, intensively uh, how did you get interested in Venus to begin with? Like like so much in life, it's a lot of uh, twist of fate. So I got into planetary science uh, when I was getting a master's degree. I, I had always had an interest in the space program and planetary exploration uh, simply because my uh, father had had a role working for for one of the contractors on the Apollo mission. So, you know, an interest in space was always in the household, but uh, I got my degrees in geology and geophysics uh, in Texas. And so like most people that get degrees in the geosciences in Texas, I started my career in the oil industry, but while I was getting a, a master's degree at night, I, I knew of this place that was just out by Johnson Space Center in Houston called the Lunar and Planetary Institute. And I, I cold called there and asked uh, if there was someone who could come up with a, a planetary science master's thesis and got connected with a guy who uh, got me working on some gravity data from the Pioneer Venus mission, which was a mission that actually uh, was active around 1980. And and then from that, I decided I was going to go back to school full time and get a PhD. And I managed to um, link up with, in, in part, because I had worked with Pioneer Venus data, I then ended up with a a doctoral advisor who was one of the co-investigators on the Magellan mission that was just about to launch. And so, and so that's how I ended up as uh, an expert on Venus. And so there's a little bit of a twist of fate if I had been, you know, for instance, the Galileo mission was also launched at the, about the same time as the, the Magellan mission. And, you know, if I had a, ended up with uh, with an advisor that was on that mission, I'd probably be an outer planet's aficionado because it went to Jupiter. So, so there's a little bit of luck there, but uh, of course now I, uh, I, I do think that Venus is the best planet. But let me get back to your, your 
if, if I may, uh, your, your comment about Mars. Um, so I always say the resemblance of Earth and Mars is superficial. So it looks, you know, on the surface, it looks a lot like desert areas of Earth and, but that the resemblance of Mars and Earth is only skin deep. The true, so Mars is Earth's doppelganger, but Venus is the true sibling of Earth. Actually, I, I picked up uh, that uh, quote by you. you. You've said this uh, before. I could say <laughs> that exact quote that uh, the resemblance is uh, superficial and that Venus is uh, Earth's uh, true uh, sibling. Can, can you perhaps... Yes, can you perhaps elaborate a bit on 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 why there is a deeper connection or why there is a deeper resemblance between Earth and Venus than compared to Mars? Yeah, absolutely. So, in a lot of what we think of, uh, other than erosion and sort of atmospheric processes, a lot of what we think of as geologic activity, particularly tectonics and volcanism, is really a way for a planet to cool off. So all of the planets in the solar system, the solid bodies in the solar system, through the process of forming, that generates a lot of heat, and then all of them incorporate Uh, radioactive elements so they have a heat source that then provides a continuing source of heat and so all the planets are hotter than outer space and the only way that they can cool off is uh, at the interface with outer space and so uh, basically at the surface and so And one of the effective ways to cool off is to uh, bring hot material up to the surface of a planet and uh, and then expose it to uh, either, you know, through the atmosphere to outer space and that cools the planet off. And so in general terms, to get a little technical, you know, the for for a sphere, the volume of something increases as the radius cubed, but the area, the surface area only increases as the radius squared. And so what that means is that the, uh, as you keep increasing the overall size of a planet, then the volume increases faster than the surface area. And so the larger things take longer to cool off. And so, uh, To get back to the the actual planets, what this means then is that the smaller bodies cool off quicker and they cool off generally. They're they're what we would call one plate planets where they kind of get a, a thick crust that doesn't move around much. And then there's uh, some volcanism that's getting some hot material to the surface but they don't end up having something like Earth's plate tectonics. And then, so so Venus, which is the size of Earth, it's uh, about 90% of the volume. The radius of Venus is 
60, 52 kilometers as opposed to Earth's 63, 71, so quite close in size. And, and yet, currently, Venus does not have plate tectonics, whereas uh, Earth does, and there, there's some reasons. Well, there's various ideas of why that is. And then there's also a whole range of ideas of how Venus got to be in its current state that does not have plate tectonics, but it does have a similar level of diversity in terms of tectonic and volcanic features. So it's got a lot going on, but not plate tectonics. And so anyway, some of these sort of big picture ideas of how Venus gets to where it is now actually involve Venus being much more like Earth through most of its history and perhaps having plate tectonics and having a, a habitable, milder atmosphere as well. Uh, so so there's really some interesting, So, so it could be that uh, Venus was a much closer sibling in exterior appearance, appearance through most of its history and then changed a billion years ago dramatically. That's, that's some of the ideas there. So um, does that kind of give you the, the overall idea? Yeah, it does. It does. And actually, it led me to uh, another point that has um, sort of... Um, Blocked me while I while I read uh, you know did my research on this topic and that is what you mentioned here that uh, we know that uh, Venus is uh, not tectonically active and it, it's sort of yeah I, I have a hard time understanding how at one hand we can discover uh, volcanoes on Venus uh, today that we hadn't discovered uh, for over thirty years but we we absolutely know that it's not tectonically active how, how can that be that we how do we know that it's not tectonically active? Uh, all right. Well, let me <laughs> let me provide a uh, a slight clarification here. So, uh, or maybe it's not so slight, but we know. Okay, when we look at the surface of Venus, because it does not have things that are equivalent to the spring ridges that we have in the center of Earth's ocean basins. And we do not see any evidence, for instance, the way that South America and Africa could be fit back together quite cleanly. We don't have any indicators uh, of places where we have uh, things that have clearly separated hundreds of kilometers on the surface of Venus. So, so we don't think that Venus's surface is divided into a set of rigid plates. That, and so we don't think it has the specific thing of plate tectonics. But there is plenty of evidence that there has been tectonics in the past on Venus. There are some places where there are sort of true mountain ranges. There are areas that, ha that are, uh, have 
widespread areas where there's clear faulting and folding that the, there must have been at least some crunching of rocks together and there are places and there's a huge there's some huge rift systems that are sort of global and circling that show tens of kilometers of separation and so so there's definitely been tectonics going on on venus now there is a so then to sort of uh, explain the observation of crunched up stuff, but no evidence of plate tectonics, there, then there's a whole range of scenarios. And some people think that one of the, one of the ideas is that there was plate tectonics and then... Uh, and, and so let me let me back up a little. One of the ideas is that Venus has enormous fluctuations of sort of a uh, several hundred million to billion year time scale in the nature of tectonic and volcanic activity. And so that what you do is you have some period where you have really rapid lots of stuff going on and you sort of have a big overturn of a lot of the surface and then you start killing all the activity off and then you and sort of have a a lid that allows things to you know it's sort of like putting a big lid on a pot until eventually you build up enough heat that you start another catastrophe but there's other ideas out there that there is ongoing tectonic activity, but it's not plate tectonics. Maybe it's some gooey version. Uh, of course, there's places on Earth where where things aren't, you know, particularly sort of around in the Himalayas where there's lots of things crushing together but not as rigid plates so, so there's some ideas out there that venus has something that's sort of a gooey version of things moving around and uh, but there's also volcanism that's kind of covering up some of the margins there are other ideas out there that uh that venus does not have something like true subduction but that it has a bunch of small plates that kind of jostle around like pack ice but don't move really long distances so there's plenty of people that think there's some so so there are different ideas out there and some of them have a lot of tectonics going on right now which tectonics just means sort of movement movement of stuff on the surface around but without plate tectonics so that was a lot more long-winded than i planned on being but that's that's, <laughs> that's <great. laughs> sorry about that but <laughs> no it's great it's something that it's something that i really had a hard time wrapping my head around and it's good to have the clarification between plate tectonics and and tectonics in in general so i guess it's quite unique for earth to have these kinds of of plates and i guess even also I don't know how common tectonics is across the solar system, but but this having the plates, what what is the significance at, at all? You know that Earth has plate tectonics, while other planets don't. 
Uh, okay, so um, so the big picture significance is that Earth has plate tectonics because it's so much because it's larger than uh, what we would call the one plate planets like Mars or the Moon. It needs some mechanism that can get more hot stuff to the surface than the moon and Mars needed, uh, essentially. But for example, uh, just Jupiter's moon Io has, uh, does not have plate tectonics. It has, a, it is incredibly hot and it's still not fully understood just because we don't have a, enough data to, to do that. But it seems to release all of its heat through volcanoes that are, you know, a bunch of volcanoes on its surface that are just continuously erupting. So it's, you know, in terms of volcanism per square kilometer, you know, Io has all these you know, many more volcanoes than Earth, but it does not have plates moving around. And so plate tectonics releases enormous amounts of heat because you have these spreading ridges. And so really there you're continually bringing up hot material to the surface. And it's not really, um, it's sort of a different, I mean, technically all of the ocean ridges could be considered centers of volcanic eruptions, but it, it sort of, it's a different type of volcanism instead of having sort of a single volcano, you're, you're kind of ripping plates apart and then filling in the gap with hot stuff that comes up in the middle there. So in the grand scheme of things, if you have a really large planet, you just, you need plate tectonics on earth in order to release more heat. And the idea, at least currently on Venus is that, in part because you have a really hot atmosphere and in part because you don't have as much water in the system. The, these are some things on, on Earth. Part of the deal is that the reason that you can have rigid plates moving around is because the involvement of water in the upper few hundred kilometers allows there to be this layer called the asthenosphere that is it's still all rock but it's less viscous rock than everything else and so it allows plates moving around on the surface of earth to somewhat be disconnected from what's going on in terms of the way the mantle is convecting and so that allows the plates to move as rigid things. And so maybe if you take away this inviscid layer that allows some separation there, then you get, maybe you get some sort of gooey version of plate tectonics, or maybe you end up then having to cycle between plate tectonics and, and just and having a clamp lid or something like that. So, and I'm kind of, I'm kind of butchering a lot of people's really detailed in-depth ideas about, about some of this stuff, but I, I'm trying to kind of give you the general picture there. Uh, so people that specialize in these sort of models, I'm sure would be unhappy with, <laughs> with the description I get, just gave, but 
but anyway, that's that's kind of the general picture there. It's fascinating. And uh, if uh, any listeners, maybe it's piqued the in- interest of uh, some of the listeners, they will read up on, on this uh, kind of stuff. <laughs> Let's uh, look at the discovery that you and um, Scott Hensley have made about the uh, active volcanism on Venus. And let's see, I'll try and see if I can explain what it is you have discovered, and then you can correct me if I'm uh, if I got anything wrong. So okay, I've understood it that you have you've gone through old data from NASA's Magellan spacecraft, and you've looked at two radar images that were taken eight months apart in 1991, and you found that the surface had changed from the first image to the second. Is that about right? Uh, absolutely. Yep, you've got that right. Okay, and and from the change on the surface, you infer that that uh, there was um, volcanism going on, right? That's right. Yeah. Can you explain a bit more about this uh, region that you that you observed and and what it was, what the change was actually that you observed in these two uh, radar images? So let me say that uh, you know this, uh, if you had taken bets on where the most likely place to have volcanism on the surface of Venus would be uh, among uh, Venus aficionados. Uh, before before we made our discovery, they would have picked this area as the most likely place, in part because the where we found the change is on top of the tallest volcano uh, on Venus. It's about uh, nine kilometers high. And it covers an area that's uh, over a thousand kilometers across. It's uh, it's in a place where the geophysical data suggests there's a a really large mantle plume underneath it, uh, just like um, underneath Hawaii or Iceland, uh, and. Uh, it's at the convergence of a few rift systems, sort of analogous to the Afar Triangle on Earth. Uh, and there was uh, another data set that suggested that near the top of, near the summit of this massive volcano, there were uh, some some signatures that suggested over a broad area that there were unweathered basalts. And so unweathered basalts would mean something that is geologically relatively young, uh, although uh, we don't have a good handle on how fast basalts weather on Venus. But uh, so this was a really likely place. I went back through the uh, old data and what I found was uh, a uh, in the first image, uh, there's a vent on kind of the northern uh, just north of the the big summit of Mont Mons, which is this volcano, there's a, a vent that's about a mile and a half across. And uh, if you look at it in the first image, uh, it is uh, circular and it looks just uh, from the way it looks in the radar imaging, it looks to be have a kind of a conical interior and, and inverted cone. So going down conically a few hundred meters. So what I would say kind of looks like a, a post-eruptive evacuated vent. Uh, and then in the second image, 
that uh, what was a circular vent is now about 50% larger. It has kind of, a, I don't know, I guess a kidney shape outline. And now it looks like it's quite, uh, quite a bit shallower and almost flat and radar dark in the interior, which indicates sort of a smoother surface. And so our interpretation is that between the first and the second image, there is a new uh, sort of a, an influx of magma that sort of subsumed and expanded the caldera and filled it. Uh, and perhaps there was either a lava lake that formed uh, over that eighth month period, but I, I would guess probably still active when the second image was taken. And then uh, if you were to, uh, this is just off the top, so it's sort of on the, the northern side of a volcanic construct and downhill from that, there's an area that's a few tens of square kilometers that possibly uh, has some new volcanic flows. And I say possibly because the way that the two images were taken was with a quite different viewing geometry. And so it's really difficult if the, if the shape of something doesn't change, it's really difficult to confirm that you've got something new, like a new set of flows, unless you see, uh, distinguish that say definitively these are new flows as opposed to just flows that we couldn't that are that haven't changed but look different because of the different viewing geometries. So I, and you call this a thing event. And when I read that, um, I had some trouble, I guess, translating it into my my own language, uh, Danish, uh, and also trying to imagine what is what is this place? What does it look like? So, and you describe it as conical also. So when you have that picture of a volcano, a typical volcano on Earth. It has this conical uh, shape, and on the top there's something that looks like a crater, where the lava comes up from that crater. Uh, and in Danish, we call that a volcano crater. Okay. Is is the vent? Is that is is that a volcano crater, or, or how would you describe it in, in other other terms? Right, right. So yes. Yeah, so I. Uh, all right. Let me see if I can. So uh, I've also been told by a true volcanologist that. Something that is a mile and a half across is not a vent, it's a caldera. And yeah, so I didn't want to, when I say a cone, I actually mean, yes, a volcano crater, as you would describe. So it's a, I, I don't mean the conical shape of an entire volcano. I mean, uh, maybe I should say an upside down cone, right? So a crater if you look at the, yeah, at the very tip, at the very top of most terrestrial volcanoes, there will be some sort of generally circular hole in the ground. And um, on this particular one, uh, so in the first image, you've got something with a slightly raised rim that's on the side of a much bigger volcano 
and then inside that rim is a depression that looks to be several hundred meters deep and has uh, steep walls. And so, uh, and then in the second image, it no longer looks to be steep walled and, and well, it still has steep, but very, uh, it does not look like it's several hundred meters deep. Instead, it looks like it's filled nearly to the rim and it's much larger in shape. So is that, is that a little, is that? Yeah, that clarify? makes sense. Yeah. And so, so that's also why you believe that there was a, like a lava lake within it because the walls were not so steep, right? Exactly. Right. So it looks like, it looks in the second image, like, you know, there's, there's still a rim, but the walls now look uh, much, you know, shorter in terms of height. And so I think it's filled in now. That's basically, yeah. So when I write my uh, articles uh, about um, space research, I try always to bring the reader to the scene, so to say, to try and describe what is going on uh, out there. I don't know if you can <laughs> perhaps use your imagination and and transport yourself to the surface of Venus and describe how uh, basically it would have looked like this, uh, or maybe um, compare it to to phenomena that we see on Earth, how they look like normally similar kinds of eruptions. Yeah, so uh, it would not look completely unusual to to it it bears a lot of resemblance to uh what we consider to be the big uh, basaltic shield volcanoes on earth so the hawaiian islands the galapagos islands the canary islands uh and but of course the one of the big differences is that um the the big island of Hawaii, you're only seeing the very top part of it. In fact, uh, so on Venus, you would be, uh, you wouldn't have this ocean obscuring the you know the bottom three fourths of the volcano, and so. But in general, other than that, there's a lot of resemblance between the Venus volcanoes and those on in Hawaii. The probably one of the big differences is that simply because the temperature is is the surface temperature is higher and atmospheric pressure is higher on Venus this means that the volcanoes when they erupt are the lavas can go longer distances before the result is that these the biggest volcanoes on Venus are even shallower in terms of slope than the big volcanoes on Earth, and so that so that so that if you wanted to to go from the base of this gigantic volcano on Earth on on Venus to to near the summit where the eruption was would be like a five six hundred miles doing it be like a you know several hundred kilometer hike on a uh, and you would barely notice that you're on a slope if you're following some of the long you know walking on some of the long lava flows going up in 
general terms, as far as we can tell, the lava flows are pretty smooth. And so, you know, you could probably actually walk reasonably easily, I think, up to near where this summit was erupting. Uh, and then uh, what you would see would not be too dramatically different from some of the views that people have done where, you know, there's, there's the times that Hawaii has had a, a lava lake erupting. If you're, you know, if you're, they're in the pet they're a little bit safety conscious now but you know a few tens of decades ago you could just have you know taken a tour and gotten you know gotten pretty close to an active lava lake and looked at it and and seen it and 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 that's really pretty similar to what you would see with this this venus volcano uh, of course you would be um when you were looking at it in general, the light, it would everything would have probably kind of a, a yellowish tint because the the sunlight is being and kind of dim because the sunlight is being filtered through completely opaque through yellowish sulfur sulfur clouds. And so, you know, it'd be sort of yellow tinted light on an overcast day while you were looking at this this uh, volcano erupting. I can sort of imagine <laughs> the picture already in my head. Um, <laughs> you, were, you were working with this 30-year-old data from, uh, or more than 30-year-old data from uh, Magellan. Um, was it difficult, you know, uh, working with the data that is uh, that old to, to make this discovery? Uh, well, uh, so... You might ask, well, why didn't we discover this back when the mission was active, right? So uh, the the change is that what needed to occur, so, so back when the data was collected, you know, this was 30 years ago to, you know, the, it took, you know, 10 seconds to take a PC and load up a single 1024 by 768 image on your on your PC and so it wasn't the data was not amenable to doing kind of a needle in a haystack search and so what what has occurred it's not the uh, the software we use wasn't Google Earth or Google Maps but that kind of software but tailored for planetary use is what need to exist in order to be able to pan around and zoom in and out. And, and then you need a laptop that's capable of dealing with sort of several tens of gigabytes data sets. So that, that capability didn't exist until roughly the last decade or so. And so that was the, the key thing that had happened to kind of make this discovery possible was the ability to actually load in mosaics and pan around and zoom in and out so this uh, discovery with all things uh, in science there's always uh, uncertainty um how definite uh, proof is this uh, that um, this is actually a volcano uh, and an eruption we have seen and uh, what could be the alternative explanations all right so i will uh, i will say that the the evidence is pretty definitive that the structure that we are looking at has 
changed, you could potentially come up with a way to make the change occurring simply by collapse of this vent or volcanic crater you, you could potentially make the change occur simply by having some sort of collapse that was not accompanied by actual volcanism. However, we, let me say we can't rule out that possibility. However, there's never been a multi-kilometer scale change of a volcanic summit of a uh, of a terrestrial volcano without volcanism without a volcanic eruption occurring somewhere there are times there are some examples of a caldera collapsing because the magma was drained out from underneath it in the process of an eruption that occurred a kilometer or two away from a different vent than the caldera that collapsed. But there's no examples of nothing, you know, just a, a giant, you know, a couple of miles of scale change of a caldera structure with no volcanism erupting. So I, I feel 100% confident that this change means that a volcano erupted on Venus, but I think you know uh, there are some cat. Those are the caveats, I would say. Then it's uh, of course great that we also know that uh, there are going to be uh, future missions to Venus that will uh, you know be able to look even even more into this uh, subject. And you've mentioned them uh, uh, quite a few times, and you are of course uh, yourself a part of the science team on uh, two of these uh, missions, uh, the European Space Agency's Envision and NASA's uh, Veritas, as we've mentioned before. Maybe you could tell me a bit about those two missions, what you do and, and how they can further our understanding uh, of Venus and, and volcanism on Venus. Both of the missions have uh, synthetic aperture radars. So these are these are radars that can image the surface and produce more or less uh, something that's the equivalent of a black and white aerial photograph. The Veritas mission has uh, a special configuration of the radar that en enables it to do something called single pass radar interferometry that can be used to derive topography. It operates similar to a mission that was done with the space shuttle called the Shuttle Radar Topography Mission. And then it operates at a shorter wavelength than the Magellan data. And then the Envision mission has a radar that is designed to do imaging at a similar wavelength to Magellan and it will have the capability of getting a little bit higher resolution imaging than the Veritas mission in terms of the images. And it will also have uh, some, some special things, one of which is uh, called 
polarimetry, which uh, essentially looks at the surface in a couple of different ways, and that will help uh, make helps distinguish in individual lava flows and get some other information about about kind of the composition and um, things like grain size and stuff like that. Uh, and then both missions will also have a infrared instrument, uh, which in terms of detecting new lava flows, uh, the infrared instrument can see at very low resolution through the clouds and potentially see a temperature change on the surface associated with new eruptions. And so both of these missions then will have the ability to look backwards in time from Magellan and, and look for kind of large-scale changes, uh, you know, large-scale being few kilometer changes in, in larger changes since the Magellan mission. And then each of them will be collecting data uh, with with much better, you know, much higher resolution, with uh, identical viewing geometries each time it looks at something, and so they'll be much better suited to looking for changes during the mission at scales of perhaps as small as tens of meters across, and so it'll be able to see it'll be able to see much more uh, smaller types of, of activity during the mission. And so that's that's why I say I think we'll be able to see lava flows, uh, you know, volcanoes evolving during each of these upcoming missions. That would be very cool. I, I read that the, the Veritas mission has been delayed due to problems uh, with another mission, uh, the Psyche mission that is going to an asteroid. Also, um, recently we saw the uh, president's uh, budget request for NASA, where the uh, budget for Veritas has basically been zeroed. It's it's only leaving $1.5 million, as far as I understand, to sort of pay the scientific staff while all the engineering work uh, has been or will be halted if this budget goes through. Um, what effect will it have on our understanding um, of Venus if this uh, mission Veritas is being delayed due to uh, due to these problems or even perhaps I don't know how realistic that is uh, cancelled well I feel pretty confident that Veritas is not going to be cancelled but uh, and then uh, I don't want to go too far out on limb because sort of the the official spokesman for uh, you know these of uh, budget issues is really the, the leader of the Veritas mission rather than, than me, just one of the science team members. But overall, uh, the, the first thing I'll say that in terms of, so in understanding the planet Venus, the where, how much, and what of what is going on now in terms of geologic activity kind of provides a critical boundary condition to sort through some of the all the different scenarios that I had given you before about how Venus got to where it is. And so to maximize our understanding of current geologic activity, what we really want to do is maximize the total 
time frame that is spanned between Veritas and Envision. And so we would really like to uh, claw back some of the launch date delay that has been put in Veritas simply uh, because uh, for, for a variety of reasons, we would like Veritas and Envision not to be occurring at the same time. We'd like to, to span a long time. And, and for my own health, I would rather see that happen by moving Veritas forward rather than moving Envision backwards. And so uh, you're, you're correct that there is some, the, I would say that the, the problems for the Psyche mission are only a small portion of the reason for the Veritas delay and that we're trying to push back pretty hard on that and see if there's there we, we feel there are other ways to address really it's sort of a larger budget uh, there are larger budget issues than what just what went on with psyche that are at play and you know we're trying to provide our um, our input that there should be other solutions found besides the one that they have settled on currently. So, and I, like I said, I, I, I am, but a mere science team member uh, officially at the leader of Veritas and is kind of the person that we, I need to defer to on extensive commentary, but that's kind of the general idea. It's been really fascinating uh, talking with you, uh, Robert, and uh, we've come through most of uh, the things I wanted to ask you. I have one last thing I want to ask you that is perhaps uh, is still related to Venus, but perhaps not the, the kind of work that you've been doing, but I would like to hear your, your take on it. Uh, NASA some years, ago, some years ago released a concept for human exploration of uh, Venus, where humans could go in these kind of balloons that would uh, hover Uh, 60 kilometers above the surface of Venus, where the uh, the environment is more benign to, to humans. I wonder, do, do you ever dream of seeing humans traveling to Venus? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, uh, yeah, I'd love it. Uh, and uh, I, I think there's uh, certain, there's um, the concept itself is uh, realizable. Uh, let me put it that way. It's not, you know, there's there's no gigantic breakthrough in technology that is required to make that happen there's a lot of um, you know engineering development and of course the cost uh, of what you're describing would be you know pretty enormous but i think you know um, eventually humans are going to go out to hopefully your solar system um, and Yeah, I think it'd be super cool to fly around the, the clouds of Venus. Um, although, although, unless you had some uh, viewports with some um, some filtering that changed your, you know, where you were looking in some wavelength other than visible wavelength, your view would not be terribly exciting. If you were flying around in the clouds of Venus, you would just be looking at essentially a bland yellow color probably out every viewport and you would not be able to see the ground and so you'd have to 
you know, so the views might be, not be terribly exciting unless you have special equipment to be able to see outside of the visible wavelengths. But yeah, it'd be great. To, you know, I'd love to see humans uh, there. I, I think the near term, the more exciting possibility that could occur probably within your lifetime, maybe not within mine, is that there could be fly close flybys of Venus involved in future missions that are going out to try and land on Mars. That's probably the most realistic scenario where a human gets close to Venus. That's very exciting. I, I do uh, dream of uh, one day those kind of uh, cloud cities as you see in uh, Star Wars. I think that was also sort of the inspiration they had for the art design for that concept NASA made. It, it looked really pretty, but I don't know if the real Venus looks that pretty. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think the, the real Venus would be like being uh, in... Uh, be, being in London when there's thick fog, <laughs> only yellowish fog. <laughs> so, <laughs> Robert Herrick, it has been uh, such a pleasure talking with you and uh, best of luck with uh, all your work and congratulations once more on your discovery and thank you so much for talking with me. All right, my pleasure.